Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. Lou Weiss is out on assignment. So I will be working with Nisha Irwin, who is the CEO of Solar Flux. I'm actually very excited to talk about this topic. This is solar thermal energy. You don't hear it widely uh, discussed, uh, particularly for industry. And uh, Nisha, I want to really get a sense of what solar flux does. You know, how does it concentrate energy, bring water to its boiling point, create steam, all those exciting things that uh, help us use the sun's energy instead of burning fossil fuels. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me on. It's a great honor to be on your show. Um, uh, yeah, so as, as you said, I'm the CEO of Solar Flux Energy Technologies. Um, we make a uh, parabolic dish concentrator which uh, you can kind of see in the my my background image here. Um, right. So it's it's a large. Uh, it looks a bit like a satellite dish, and it sort of tracks the sun um, on two axes, and it has a very highly reflective mirror uh, on the other side uh, of the dish, and focuses uh, all of the sun's energy onto a central point, as you can see in the image, um, and creates a lot of heat. So we'll get up to you know five thousand times concentration. Um, and the heat can get up to, you know, north of 1500 centigrade at the receiver. So very, very high temperatures. Um, and, and then we, uh, what we do is we, we flow a, uh, we pump a fluid through the receiver, um, that central point, there's a coil and a uh, oil or a mix of water and, and, and glycol can be, can flow through that. It will absorb all of the heat and it transports it to a point where it can be used. And we can, you know, with the current uh, design, we can get up to 350 to 400 centigrade. Um, and then we can use that heat for various processes, including uh, industrial processes, which is a, a huge opportunity uh, in terms of decarbonization and providing sustainable, uh, a sustainable energy source for industry. Um, and that's an application we're very excited about. Well, Nisha, I, when I was a child, I used a magnifying glass to focus the sun's energy so I could, you know, start fires over in the side yard when I wasn't observed by my parents, you know, burning right. sticks. Yeah. Uh, how is the industry going to use this uh, for their needs? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it actually works very similar to, similarly to, to what you just described. Uh, we're, we're basically uh, focusing all of the energy onto a single point. Um, but, uh, you know, when you think about global energy consumption, so about half of global energy is consumed as heat. And by the way, global energy consumption continues to rise. Um, it's, 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 it's projected to rise by another 50% in the next uh, 30 years out to 2050 from, from, from where it is today. So we're, we're continuing to see growth driven by population, driven by rising living standards, increasing industrialization. Um, so half of, about half of that energy is consumed as heat today. Um, and about half of the heat consumption, so about a quarter of global energy is consumed by industry. So there's an enormous amount of, of our global energy footprint that is consumed by industry. And we have a real challenge as, you know, as a world when we're looking to address climate change and reduce the amount of carbon and other greenhouse gases that we're emitting into the atmosphere. Um, how do we reduce the emissions associated with that thermal footprint? And, and you know, we know from the conversations that we're having with clients uh, every week, uh, many companies are seeking for ways to reduce their uh, emissions footprint. 
very significant and aggressive uh, targets are being set up to you know 50% reduction in the next 10 years. That kind of thing is very common uh, to hear from our clients. So then the challenge is, okay, how do we go about reducing our footprint? What are the options available? Particularly if, if you have a thermal footprint, you know, everyone's heard of, of photovoltaics, but photovoltaics are not very well suited for uh, thermal processes. I'm talking about processes like um, pasteurization or sterilization or cooking. Um, these types of processes that are widely used, for example, in the food processing industry. Um, Thing, you know, that's where we think that we could potentially provide a very value-added solution. Um, we have a, the, the, one of the advantages of our technology is it's quite space efficient. So it produces a fair amount of energy relative to competing solutions for the area that it, that it occupies. Um, and that's a big advantage when you have companies that have an existing plant footprint that they're trying to retrofit a sustainable solution into. And they may not have, uh, you know, unlimited space around their plant. Um, so that's that's where I think we can be, uh, where, where we can add, you know, we can be of use is um, providing a uh, flexibly deployable, um, pretty wide temperature range, zero emission energy source for industry, uh, particularly where you're where you're looking for temperatures, you know, between say 100 C and 300 C or 350 C. Uh, you know, that's a some that's a temperature range that that we can fairly uh, readily serve today. Nisha, is yours a closed loop system so you can use the energy to uh, raise the temperature of a fluid to 350 and then create steam to turn a turbine to capture the steam uh, and you don't have to reintroduce but maybe a modicum of additional water or whatever you use for the fluid, but essentially a closed loop system that's very Sounds like very, very energy efficient. Correct. Uh, yes. So we have a so we'll, there'll be a, a thermal loop that runs through the receiver and to a heat exchanger, uh, and then that will interface with the client's uh, existing uh, thermal systems in most cases. And even if they need even if they need energy above uh, the the temperature range that we're you know currently capable of supporting, um, we can also provide preheating. So it'll be a simple boost to the heat um, as it goes into you know, a boiler or, or you know, uh, so we just offset the amount of fossil fuels required to uh, achieve the target temperature, uh, at least partially. Um, so preheating is a big opportunity, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, it's simply a, a loop that runs to a heat exchanger and there will be a, a high temperature <coughs> fluid, sorry, that runs through that loop. And, uh, and then we just inject the heat into the client system. Okay, so what kind of savings is the client likely to experience? It sounds to me like because energy is a huge portion of manufacturers' cost that they are at some significant savings here. Uh, yes, so our goal is to be cost competitive with natural gas um, without subsidies. That's what we're targeting. Um, and then you have the, uh, on top of that, you have uh, elimination of price risk. So once you install the system, it's going to run for 20 to 25 years. Um, it's a low maintenance uh, solution, fairly simple. Uh, there should be minimal risk to, 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 to having it operate over that period. And you're locking in the price for that period of time. So you gain a lot of predict business predictability by having a guaranteed source of energy um, at a fixed price for that long time period. 
Um, so, so that's that's a potential advantage as a business when you're trying to plan, uh, you know, one of your major cost inputs, uh, getting that security around the price. Um, and then the other piece is uh, reducing your CO2 footprint. Uh, so, if you know some companies, you know, maybe today people aren't putting a price on carbon. In some in some states and geographies, there is a price on carbon. Currently in, in Europe, I believe it's trading at about $100 a metric ton. Um, that's, that's quite a lot. Um, so we can simply offset uh, the carbon emissions uh, by, by providing the zero source energy, zero, zero emission energy. And that will be another kind of effective saving to clients. So we're, we're targeting basically being cost competitive with natural gas, reducing emissions and providing price stability and visibility uh, over the medium to the long term. Now, being cost competitive with natural gas, at what point do I have an ROI so I am actually ahead of the game? It, it, so it'll vary. It's, it's very situation specific because um, we depend on the sun. So the sun is not evenly distributed, unfortunately. Uh, the Northeast is, it doesn't have as much sun as say the Southwest in the United States. Uh, so. We, you're going to get a lot higher performance out of one of these devices in an area where there's a lot of sun. Um, all concentrating solar power systems require clear skies to operate. Uh, cloud cover is a problem for concentrating solar power. So it's, uh, it's much better suited to places like, like California, Arizona, Nevada, uh, New Mexico, Utah, these types of states where you have a lot of clear days. Having said that, we can still perform well. I mean, we're based in Pennsylvania. We've got a we've got a, one of our units set up here in Pennsylvania. Um, we can still perform well in uh, in the Northeast, um, but you'll get a much higher uh, ROI in places like the Southwest, where there's a lot more sun. Well, because manufacturing is moving to places like Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, uh, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, you yes. seem to be a sweet spot in terms of the geographic area where this solar flux works. Yes, uh, we're talking to clients in those geographies uh, as we speak, and um, I think we see a lot of opportunity there. All of them face the same problem. How, how are they going to reduce their emissions footprint? Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully we're going to land uh, uh, sort of some, some projects fairly soon. Uh, we're in good conversations at the moment. And um, I think we're well aligned with the, with the, the, the where, where, ge where uh, the geographic trends in terms of where manufacturing is uh, shifting to, definitely. I guess my uh, intuition tells me that if I were to invest in this kind of technology, at some point it has paid for itself. And I am yes. now essentially running free. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so, you know, we just did an analysis for one client. Uh, I think we're looking at about a five to seven year payback based on that particular situation. Now it'll depend on the situation. Uh, it depends on how much sun, it depends on the price of natural gas and, you know, what assumptions you want to put into your payback calculation. But, um, you know, that would probably be on the higher end. Generally solar systems, renewable energy systems, you know, it, it might be a, a 10 year payback uh, even even a little bit longer than that, if you're looking at it like a residential system. Um, so they, they can take some time to pay back, but then you're right. Like once you paid it back, you're getting essentially free energy uh, from that point onwards. Um, so, yes. And certainly energy, as I mentioned, is a 
huge cost factor for manufacturing. So yeah. I'm going to hear that you know you have developed this kind of technology. Uh, what was the genesis of this? Yeah, great question. Um, so my partners, so I'm, I'm the CEO and I'm kind of more on the business side. I partnered with uh, two technologists who were the pioneers of the technology. Uh, it goes back about 15 years, um, the development project. Um, so my, my, the lead developer, um, John Fangman, who's a co-founder of SolarFlux and our, and our chief technology officer, uh, his background is all in optoelectronics and fiber optics. And uh, sort of, uh, he, he was a distinguished engineer at Bell Labs. Um, and then he co-founded a, a company that uh, developed uh, an optical component for, opt for fiber optic networks. It got sold to Cisco Systems, which worked out, it worked out pretty well. Um, and he got very interested in this uh, solar energy uh, solution. Uh, it was proposed by somebody who was concerned about the, the conditions that many people live in around the world where uh, in places like India, or the developing worlds where they don't have access to ready access to affordable fuels. And they're basically burning biomass uh, in their homes, um, spending you know, many hours a day collecting wood, um, other biomass, and then burning it in their homes, which has negative health impacts. And she was looking for, is there a solution out there, a sustainable energy solution that could one day be sort of deployed in these places and provides a low cost uh, source of energy? So the, the, the design was kind of uh, originally inspired by that problem. What's a, what's a solution that could be provided, uh, that could be you know, a, a, a renewable energy solution that could be uh, manufactured locally in those countries with the technical skill capacity that exists in, in those parts of the world. Um, so it's, it's actually, our, our device is actually kind of a low tech solution in some ways. It's made of all steel. And, and a skin of aluminum on the on the uh, reflector. It's, it, it uses casting and uh, stamping processes uh, for the production. So we're, we're not using uh, semiconductor advanced manufacturing here. It's, it's relatively low tech from a manufacturing point of view, which means it's something that could be easily supported um, in terms of manufacturing in places like India um, or other countries that, that have that kind of in-country in capability. And then the other thing is in terms of maintenance, no special equipment is needed. Um, it can be maintained with simple tools and you know, a ladder basically. Uh, so it, it's easy to support in the country. Um, so that, that was, those were some of the design criteria that went into this. Um, it was then realized that to really scale this up, we would need to um, uh, commercialize it. It's the only way to get the volumes up and get the price down where people can actually use it. So then a company was formed and um, we, we, we were looking to find commercial users uh, in uh, industry and other applications. Does this have a plug? Does it require you know, being plugged into a wall socket to operate? Yeah, there's some, there's some electrical power that's required to operate the tracking mechanism and the, the sensor suite that monitors the performance. Um, we're going to install some photovoltaic uh, cells on the dish so that it will have onboard autonomous power. Um, we're trying to minimize the amount of uh, work that goes into installation. We want it to be kind of a turnkey solution. It's out of the box, a few bit like a Ikea furniture. It just sort of snaps together and then it runs. Yeah. 
the reason I ask is because certainly one of the continents that's behind the curve energy-wise, but ahead of the curve sun-wise is Africa. Yes. And, and anything that can be easily implanted into that continent to help it develop would be a big, big win. And I suspect you've looked at this as well. 100%. That, that, that's, that's just the kind of scenario that was, was that inspiration for the original product. And we've definitely seen, we definitely see a lot of opportunities for this in Africa and would love to get it in use over there once it's, you know, once we're fully in production. Uh, we've had a lot of inquiries from Africa about technology as we've been promoting it. Um, we, and there's many countries in Africa where it would work extremely well, particularly in South Africa, in Namibia, um, where you've got tremendous amounts of uh, direct irradiance or uh, clear skies per year. Um, yes, it's a, it would be a great use case. So what is the size of this, both in footprint and you know, length, width, height? Yeah, it's, it's fairly large. Um, there's, there's two versions. One has about a 4.5 meter diameter, um, the dish itself, and uh, it's a 14 meter squared uh, aperture. So the dish area is about 14 meters squared. So that's the smaller dish. And, uh, and then it requires a bit of a clearance area. Um, we, we want to make sure that, you know, in the event that the dish is not aligned with the sun, that the focal point is not going to, you know, burn somebody or, or have some safety problem. So we, we, we like to have a clearance area around it for safety, safety purposes. Um, and then, uh, so, so we probably need about 27 square meters for the smaller dish in terms of footprint. Um, and then the larger dish is much bigger. Uh, basically we have, we have a one version, which is, has a, has a single inner ring of petals. There's about 20 petals, uh, which are individual panels, uh, of reflector. And then the, 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 the larger dish has an, a secondary outer ring of petals, another 20 petals running around the inner ring. And that's three times the area. Uh, so about 42 meters of aperture. And um, that'll require, uh, that's about a seven meter diameter um, in terms of the dish. So pretty big. And it'll require uh, about 80 meters of, of uh, clearance per unit. Okay, well, I, you know, I, it's not like I need 10 football fields to make that happen. Uh, so that's no, just, that's very encouraging. Yeah, so yeah, so so we're yeah, so we, we 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 like it because it's it's a it's a it's a very modular and scalable solution, which means it can be flexibly deployed to, based on the client's needs in a in a fairly incremental way. You know, unlike some of the other concentrating solar power solutions like power towers. The minimum scale for our our device is is fairly low. I mean, you could put one device if you need to, or you can have five, or you can have a hundred. You know, it just it depends on how much space you have, what your power requirements are. Um, so it's it's a and, and, and you know it also sits on a mast, so it's it's it takes it doesn't actually take up that much ground. You could potentially grow things underneath it, for example, um, or have uh, landscaping, or who knows. Um, it might get burned on occasion if something goes wrong, but um, that's not too much of a problem when it's vegetation. Um, but yeah, the, the, it sits on a mass, so it's it, it also doesn't require a lot of land preparation. You could put it on unprepared ground. Um, you don't need to level the ground. You just put the mass down, a bit like a telephone pole. You could 
you know, pile drive that telephone pole in, just like that. You can do the same with the mast here and mount the tracking mechanism on top, dish on top, and then it, it'll self-calibrate and off, off to the races. Um, now, so. Certainly one of the concerns with something of this shape and size is wind, uh, particularly the durability of the mast and its ability to uh, absorb the pressure of that wind. Uh, I'm, I know that you've taken that into account. Yeah, that's a key consideration. Um, that's a that's something that we analyze heavily in the design. Uh, so we've done you know a full FEA analysis on uh, wind stresses and where the wind stresses kind of uh, are concentrated and what the the resistance of of the device to wind various wind speeds should be. Um, the bigger dish will operate up to thirty mile an hour winds and and then it goes into a safe mode automatically. Uh, so it has a uh, a wind uh, sensor on on the dish, um, and it'll detect what the wind speed is, and it'll it'll go into a what we call the safe mode, which is the receiver pointing up at the sky. So it minimizes the profile to to the wind, and um, reduces minimizes the wind stress, and it'll resist wind up to about 100 miles an hour. So, if, wow. if, certainly it's certainly these are sort of industry standard benchmarks. So we designed it for that. Now you can definitely design for higher wind stress, but then your cost will just go up. So we're trying to get the sweet spot of keeping the cost, uh, you know, moderate and also having sufficient wind resistance to account for most conditions. Um, and then the, the smaller one is actually very wind resistant. Obviously the wind goes up sort of exponentially with the area. So uh, when, you, when you divide the area by three, uh, you get vastly higher wind resistance. Uh, so we're looking at, you know, potentially operating up to hundred miles an hour and resistance, you know, far higher than that. Uh, so um, it'll, it'll depend on the situation. You know, if you're if you're installing in a hurricane zone, for example, uh, you'll need to really optimize for wind resistance. If you're installing in areas that don't often see high winds, then you might go for uh, be willing to accept more risk on the wind resistance. Well, I'm glad you calculated in that it, it doesn't melt things like the high rise in Las Vegas where they didn't exactly right. compute and it was melting cars. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, I think it was a story about a, a building in London as well, where it was a curved glass building, and it was sort of I turned it turned into, it was effectively functioning as a solar concentrator. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, for the sake of our viewers and listeners, uh, a couple of things I'd like you to share with them. Number one, uh, because your first name is unusual. Uh, yes. how to pronounce it and the location of your website. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Nisha, uh, N-A-O-I-S-E. Uh, it's one of those Irish uh, Gaelic names, um, pronounced Nisha, um, and then Erwin, my second name. And then the website is uh, www.solarflux, S-O-L-A-R-F-L-U-X dot C-O. So not dot com. We don't have the dot com yet. Um, uh, dot C-O, yeah. Great, great. Uh, Nisha, I just, if there is a case study uh, that you would like to share as we wrap this segment up, I'd love to hear it because I think this is fabulous technology. I love to see anything you. that utilizes the sun's energy. I said for decades, what are we doing with that thing and why aren't we doing more? I know it's a, it's, it's an incredible resource. Um, you know, a thousand watts per meter squared every every day uh, is, is reaching us. Um, 
Yes. Uh, so, so as far as a case study goes, um, so we have a we have a unit uh, that we've been running for a long time at Penn State uh, campus here in Pennsylvania, where we're developing the technology. Um, we've got great data. I mean, I, I you know I, I could. We're, I'm hoping to write a. I'm hoping to write a blog post doing a, a 12 month retrospective on the operation of that device shortly. Um, but we've got great data coming off of that device. Um, we've demonstrated uh, using a sort of an industry standard test method, which had, which the data was then independently reviewed and the methods as well. 72% solar to thermal performance, which is really good um, for for our test unit, like what we have up what we have. And we expect that to go up as we get to production because we're going to have a much more uh, precise uh, curvature on the dish, which should boost the concentration ratio and the, and the conversion efficiency. Uh, so we expect to get into the mid 70s potentially with uh, solid to thermal conversion performance. And this is with nothing, no, nothing more sophisticated than pure aluminum. Um, so it's a fairly simple material. Um, so we're really excited about having gotten that result in terms of performance. If you look back over the past 12 months, how has it performed that we, that, it, that is the performance that we're getting on an annual average basis, um, which, so we're getting about 70 to 75% conversion overall, which is very good. And that, that is actually, you know, the, the parabolic dish is known to be the most efficient solar energy technology. And that's because it's always tracking the sun. It's always perfectly aligned with the sun. It's, it's directly normal to the sun. Um, you're making full, taking full advantage of the of the aperture at all times, and that's not the case with other technologies. Uh, for example, uh, parabolic trough. Um, when the sun in the winter months, when the sun's lower in the sky, that causes the effective aperture of the trough to be lower. Um, so it'll actually reduce the efficiency on a per meter squared basis in terms of conversion. Um, so you, you'll probably get you know 55% on an annual average basis for a trough, maybe 40 to 45% for a power tower. But with parabolic dish, you can get up to 70, 75% uh, on an annual average basis. So it, it, it becomes, and this is on a, this is a, you know, a per meter squared equivalent. Uh, so like for like. Uh, so, so we think it's a super efficient technology. Our, our data has supported that and validates that. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be sharing more on that soon. Um, and, and, and in terms of the use case there, so it's a test installation where we're uh, injecting the heat into a greenhouse. So we're we're providing space heating in that case. It's a direct offset to natural gas. Um, so the, the greenhouse at night uh, uses a natural gas, uses natural gas heaters. And then we have a storage tank that will uh, inject heat when available uh, to offset the consumption of the natural gas. Um, and that's an, that's an application that we see a lot of opportunity for uh, here in the region, even in Pennsylvania, which isn't the sunniest place in the world, but we think there's a, there's a good amount of, uh, there's a lot of greenhouses and a lot of opportunity to even provide uh, solar heat in, in this area, uh, despite that. Well, yeah, greenhouses are a great application. And this is something that, again, to bring in that continent Africa is looking at is how do we, how do we get an energy source so that we can grow crops uh, and yeah. you know, feed our populace? So I think that's a terrific application for you yes. to tell. As a matter of fact, just to remind our listeners and viewers, every month we publish a magazine called Manufacturing Outlook. And one of the right. sections is called Technology Outlook. And I would like to invite Solar Flux 
if you have a spare 1500 words to submit yeah. it to us, we would love to publish it on the technology. That would be amazing. We would love to do that. Uh, Great. We'll, we'll, we'll certainly follow up with you on that. Excellent. Well, we look forward to that. Nisha, I really appreciate you being on Manufacturing Talk Radio with us and, so, and representing Solar Flux. I love the technology. I love anything that uh, use, utilizes the sun's energy. Uh, folks who know me know I'm big into graphene because yep. someday I, I see that as uh, flat panel glass and in high rise buildings, the energy grid won't be happy, but it'll be very green. This is another yes. great green technology. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. And so we will put this up on our website. We will also get an article from Nisha on Solar Flux, and we will continue yep. to promote this brilliant technology. Thanks for joining us, Nisha. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.